The following is a Poppy Chulo Radio original program. The views and opinions expressed in the commentaries and or interviews in the following program are solely those of the individuals and are not views of Poppy Chulo Radio, its parent, affiliate, or subsidiary companies. Initiative Moon Knight. Welcome to the Avengers Initiative Moon Knight, a PoppyChuloRadio.com original series. PoppyChulo Radio, pop culture on demand. Today is Thursday, March 31st, 2022, and I'm your host, Jeffrey Aruz. During this podcast, we'll be having an in depth discussion on Disney Plus's Moon Knight. Please welcome my co hosts, Priscilla Rocha. Hey, everybody. And Vinny Hatcher. Wait, what did, what did you call me? Who are, who are you? That's not my name. I'm kidding. Hi. Yes, I love it. Sets the tone, though. Let's jump into our discussion <laughs> of Season 1, Episode 1, which was titled The Goldfish Problem and debuted March 30th, 2022 via Disney+. Plus. Here's the official synopsis of the episode. Stephen Grant learns that he may be a superhero but may also share a body with a ruthless mercenary. All right. So I'm going to start off with a question that I typically do whenever it's the first episode of one of these Disney plus Marvel series. And I think it's, it's really important this time around, not that it wasn't important last year, but this is year two of Disney plus and uh, all of year one the Marvel productions that were on Disney Plus were with familiar characters. We had Wanda and Vision, the Falcon, Winter Soldier, Loki, and Hawkeye. This is the first series, now that we're in year two of the Disney Plus Marvel era, where we have a brand new character, a character that has not been featured before in a feature film as a primary, secondary, tertiary, etc. character. So we're introduced to a brand new character. And so I want to ask both of you, are we fans of Moon Knight? Were we familiar with Moon Knight prior to the announcement that a Moon Knight series was going to be made? Do we know Moon Knight? Have we heard of Moon Knight? What do we think of Moon Knight prior to watching this series? Do we have a connection with Moon Knight, is what I'm asking. Priscilla, I'll start off with you. Well, with me, it was from a blank slate. I knew nothing about Moon Knight except for the fact that somebody once said that he was Marvel's version of Batman, and I was like, okay, I'm I'm down for this, if, it's that, if that's what it is. So far, no, what the hell? That was a lie. Well, not so much, but yes, based off of what we've seen. <laughs> yes. I mean, if you read into it, you're like, oh, okay, well, that makes sense why they would say that. Uh, yes. Vinny, what about you? Your thoughts well, on I'm... Moon Knight, Moon Knight in your life? Yeah, I mean, I've been watching Sailor Moon since 1997. So, oh, wait, wrong show. Um... Oh, I, yeah. <laughs> Although similar. 
similar transformations and all that stuff yes exactly complete with like robes of fabric wrapping around out of nowhere and amulets and stuff no i am kind of i had a little bit of an understanding about moon knight not very deep like i pretty much knew he was a schizophrenic or sorry dissociative identity disorder batman um that he was basically he's extremely powerful because i think at one point he actually could or did take on and or kill the avengers based on his power uh it was, but again, I haven't researched it, so I don't know how much. It's all word of mouth that I've heard. So, like, when someone said Moon Knight, I knew to picture some big buff guy, completely covered head to toe in bandage looking stuff, and a white cape. And I knew that he beat the crap out of people. And that was pretty much about it, other than something with Egyptian gods. So, I wasn't as much of a blank slate. I was more like the back of a novel where they only give you one paragraph to describe what happens in the entire book. All right. And I probably knew even less. Uh, the my only experience with Moon Knight is uh, at a time a couple years ago before I discovered a different game. I used to play on my phone this little game called Marvel's Contest of Champions, and Moon Knight was a champion that you could fight with, and mm-hmm. he was kind of cool looking. But other than that, I really didn't know anything about the character. Once it was announced, and once like Oscar Isaac was announced, I was like, oh, okay. And I did read a little bit more into it, kind of like what Priscilla read. And I was like, okay, this is kind of interesting. I was not expecting a Marvel's Legion type of show, but uh, Priscilla, we used to talk about Legion. And and so uh, this is kind of like right up our alley, in a sense. And, yeah, uh, I got the sense that that was what they were going for. Yes, and so uh, so yeah, so so this is where we are today. So let's talk about Stephen Grant. That's who we are introduced to at the start of um, the episode. Well, actually, we're introduced to somebody else who's got a whole thing for glass, but we'll talk about him in a little bit because George Glass. Yes, because that was a lot. For those first 30 seconds, I will say. But removing that, because we will be talking about Batman in a little bit, let's focus on Stephen Grant. Isn't he a precious cinnamon roll that we all must protect at all costs? Vinny? I mean, I'd be more likely to stomp on him in the subway, but sure. Oh. (laughs) No, I... Yeah, no, I mean, he's your typical, like, down on his luck, like... He kind of reminds me of what I would picture if Goofy were to turn into a human being without being, like, slapstick comical. Like, that's kind of the vibe. Like, yeah, (laughs) like, not bad. Like, I didn't hate him, but I was kind of getting to the point where I was like, okay, dude, you need to, like, fix your life a little bit. Like, you've clearly got some stuff going on, and you're you're not really seeking help. You're trying to fix it yourself, and you're just digging yourself in these holes. So I think that actually was intended, though. I think we were supposed to kind of see this guy who's trying to master something that he's been fighting with most or all of his life and the rest of his life is a disaster because of it so i i i thought he was rather interesting and and he grew on me by the end of the episode but in the beginning i was like i need to know more about what is going on with him to make him do the things that he's doing and without spoiling anything i will leave it at that (laughs) okay all right priscilla Vinny didn't find him a precious cinnamon roll that we must protect at all costs. Did you find him a precious cinnamon roll that we must protect at all costs? Yes, he's so pathetic. He's like one of those like shivering chihuahuas that you just want to like pick up and put somewhere warm or something. Like, <laughs> yes, and put a blanket on him. 
Yes, exactly. He's just... Life has treated him like shit, and he has no idea why. He's just trying to, like, wade his way through the chaos and not working very well at it. But I like him, which is why I really like this episode. I liked seeing things from his perspective. I liked seeing how, like, kind of lost everything was and how, like, we didn't get to see the other side of him at all. Yes, well, until the tail end. And we heard little glimpses of the other side. But I'm sure we will be getting more. But yes, as far as Steven, I enjoyed Steven. I enjoyed Oscar Isaac's portrayal of Steven. Because he is everything that you said, Vinny. But because of everything that you said, I was rooting for him. Like, he immediately became a very sympathetic character. A character that I instantly rooted for i mean his best friend is a goldfish and a living statue i mean how how much more pathetic can you be let's be real but in a way that priscilla was saying like you just want you want to root for him and hope for the best for him because clearly his life has gone to shit and there was a part of me as i was like going through this episode i was like is he even talking on the phone to anybody Like, I don't feel like he's really calling his mother. You know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like he feels he's calling his mother. I was like, poor dude. Like, he's just, So he's he's really that lonely that he's not talking to anyone at all? Well, he's (laughs) leaving a voicemail for somebody. Who that is? Yeah. I don't freaking know. But, uh, yeah, I was like, poor Stephen Green. And then we get to the job. And he works at a museum. He's he's not a, a tour guide. He will never be a tour guide. He is at the gift shop, and but he has this uh, immense amount of knowledge, and uh, Donna won't let him express the knowledge. I, I feel like we've all worked with a Donna. Yes? No? Yes. Uh-huh. Okay. We've all met a Donna before, and it looks like he's about to get the girl, even though he doesn't remember getting the girl, and he's a vegan, and he's going to a steakhouse. I mean, there's just a lot going on with Stephen Grant. But the thing that we learn about him is that, you know, he describes it as, you know, he needs to get his thousand steps in a day. But apparently when he goes to sleep, he thinks he's sleepwalking. You know, so he chains himself to the bed. He puts sand around the bed to make sure that there aren't any feet prints. He tapes the door shut and all that kind of stuff. And uh, he he tries also to stay up and not fall asleep because he doesn't want to sleepwalk. But then we're introduced to the sleepwalking. What did we think of how they handled uh, Stephen blacking out? Priscilla? It just makes me more curious as to what's going on afterwards. I'm like, are we going to get the flip side at any point in this series or is it always going to be like that or are we going to see Mark at any time soon or I don't know like the first time I saw it happen I was struck I was like wait so he's not just sleepwalking like there's something else to this like the the voice is coming out and I was like oh shit this is this is going to be good this, he, he's he's got He's got death to him. There's something else that's wrong with him besides I can't I can't meander my way out of bed without tripping over something or something like that, like sleepwalking. 
100%. Vinny, I want to get your take on it, but I have to bring in some additional information so we can fully understand mm -hmm. what's going on with Steven. So apparently, as, as you mentioned, he has dissociative identity disorder. He has, you know, a couple different personalities. And uh, Mark seems to be the person that he becomes, Mark Spector, when he blacks out. We also hear another voice um, initially in in the um, the subtitles, uh, the closed caption, it just says male voice, but we come to learn that he is the it's the voice of the Egyptian god Khonshu, and we also learn throughout the episode that gods, Egyptian gods, have used humans as avatars. So we don't get all of that information in that first scene where we see uh, Stephen waking up in, in sort of like the countryside. But uh, we learn that throughout the episode. Uh, I think we're not supposed to know that, so we're just as shocked as Stephen is. You know, we're going along for the ride with Stephen. I mean, he even says earlier in the episode when he's leaving a voicemail for his mom, and I'm putting mom in air quotes, that uh, every morning he wakes up and he feels like he's been hit by a truck. I would assume he probably is getting hit by a truck, but I don't know. But Vinny, your take on, you know, the first time we see Steven waking up in a location he is not familiar with and and all of the shenanigans that he gets involved with in the countryside. The the thing that I I really really enjoyed about this episode was those ep th those for lack of a better term those episodes that he had because going into this series I was reading glowing reviews about how it handles mental health and mental illness and one of the reviews that I read stuck with me which was I walked away from watching the first episode feeling as if I was the one having the disassociative identity disorder because of the way that the show handles it. And I was really intrigued on in how that was going to take place and what my takeaway would be. Now, I am not one to get motion sickness, like, ever. Like, I can go up and down mountains, ride roller coasters, airplanes, whatever. The end of this episode, I was starting to feel almost as if I had mental motion sickness because of how many times, as a viewer, we were jumping around with Steven and Mark. So I really think that it was handled really, really well, and it was very, very immersive. And I don't know if you two noticed it. But as they led in those seconds before he was about to switch and go dark, it seemed to me like the screen almost had like a melty aspect to it. Like we were going into the back of his consciousness with him as he got shoved in the back and Mark came to the forefront. Could be just Yeah, me. it's blurred. Okay. <laughs> yeah, there was blurring, there was flashing. It was spectacular the way that they did yeah. it. So I think they handled it really well, and I really enjoyed that aspect of it because it keeps you on the edge of your seat as the listener or the viewer. Uh, hopefully we're keeping our listeners on the edge of our seats, but, uh, or their seats, but no, I think they handled it really, really well. And it, it really worked with the story. You know, it wasn't like one of those normally handled ones where it's like, it just goes black and cuts to another scene. Like, no, you could really feel his desperation because it was almost like you went on the journey with him. And what I really, really liked was how fast it was. It I like that we're not seeing what happens when Mark takes over in this first episode, we get a little bit of a teaser towards the end. But for the most part, we are just as in the dark as he is. You know, he's waking up 
with his restraints on or he's looking up in a field somewhere in France or wherever he was, you know, and it's just as jarring as it would be for that person. So I thought it was really, really fabulous. 100%. I could not have said it better. It was just fantastic. And there's a part of me that is so curious to, to have seen what he did, you know, when he blacks out. But the fact that we didn't and we just saw the reaction around was brilliant because clearly, you know, mild-mannered Stephen Grant turns into a motherfucking badass because everybody was shooketh by what they saw him do when he blacked out. Like, it was just, they did it beautifully. It was really spectacular. And it was us going through the journey going through Steven's journey because Steven was hella confused as to what the hell was going on as well. I mean, he wanted to give the scarab back. Don't give it back. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like the whole lot was going on and it was just beautifully expressed, you know, props to Oscar Isaac. I'm sure he's going to be one of our MVPs. Um, Whoever gets to go first will probably pick Oscar Isaac, but he was just stellar. Like the way that he was able to convey it was bloody brilliant. Now, Speaking of bloody brilliant, because there was a whole lot of blood splatter around him, let's talk about Ethan Hawke as Arthur Harrow. I'm assuming he's our villain. He seems very charming, but aren't yeah. most cult leaders charming? <laughs> uh, I'm just saying. Uh, he, he's, he seems to be a cult leader. He seems to be a zealot. He knows a lot about uh, Egyptian gods. And it looks like, based off of just the little bits of information that we got from him, he seems to be leading his cult um, so that he can free the Egyptian goddess Amit. And that's all that I really have from him, outside of him being a very imposing figure. Uh, We saw him at the start of the episode, like right before the whole Marvel logo, Breaking up glass, putting them in his shoes, because why not? I mean, it's a thing to do on a Saturday night, I guess. Um, And then we see him interacting with Stephen, who he clearly knows that Stephen is a mercenary of some sort, although Stephen doesn't realize it. But what did we think of Arthur Harrow? You know, uh, yeah, what did we think of his introduction and in particular, his first scene with Steven. Vinny? You know, it's funny. I When I was a kid, I had the biggest crush on Ethan Hawke. And I was like, oh my god, he's such a great actor. And then as I got older and my taste became more refined, I started to realize that Ethan Hawke tends to play Ethan Hawke. <laughs> it's like everything that he does. Like, he does have some range. But that being said... Being Ethan Hawke was absolutely perfect for this role because Ethan Hawke does creepy, sleazy, slimy, weird, gets under your skin really, really well. Anyone who's ever saw, um, oh my God, why am I drawing a blank? The movie with the cameras and the 8-bit tapes and the house um, begins with an S and I can't, the horror movie that he Sinister. was in. Yes, thank you. Like, even though he was the protagonist in that, he still brought an interesting angle 
by being himself in that role. And he did it again with this one. He actually really reminded me of Sinister. Like he was channeling some of the creepiness that that movie had to play this character, if that makes sense. He really did well. And even though I may say he was playing Ethan Hawke, that's because Ethan Hawke knows his range and he knows it really, really well. I didn't recognize him at first. And as the scenes progressed, I was like, oh, shit, that's Ethan Hawke. Like, it just it made total sense. And I really like the chemistry that the two of them have, um, Isaacs and Ethan Hawke, because it's that metaphor of the scales on his arm. They're either side of the scale. You've got, you know, the main character who's this, like, innocent, naive, pure soul that's being troubled by all this other stuff. And then you've got the other side, this, you know, sleazy heaven gate Egyptian cult leader. And there is a certain amount of, and I don't romantic chemistry just to be cl- just to be clear. So fanfics, sorry to disappoint you, <laughs> but uh, oh, but they, I'm sure they're being written regardless of what you're about are, to say. They totally are. But there is that foible to each other. They they are the villain and or at least seem the initial villain, you know. And I think it sets up a really interesting dynamic going forward because in this first encounter, the main character is really really unprepared he's at his most vulnerable he's in this foreign country he doesn't know his life is going down the shitter and now he's being shot at by people and then this crazy cult leader is like asking for something that he has and then more stuff happens with flash outs as i'm calling them and then blood and vengeance and on the other hand you've got ethan Hawke's character who is just totally calm and collected and it's literally everything that i despise about salespeople. I'll just say salespeople to not be controversial um, when they are selling a concept and they come across as being very, very caring and very, very calm. And yes, if you invest in mine, I will help you, you know, but there's obviously something shady going on. So you've got this really obviously conniving, manipulative character and this pure, naive soul going through a conflict. I'm really, really excited to see how these two play off each other the rest of the season. Very nice. All right, Priscilla, I'm going to bring you into the conversation as well. Your thoughts on Arthur Harrow. What did you think of Ethan Hawke in this role? And uh, yeah, where do you think this is going to go? Is it just as simple a concept as uh, freeing an Egyptian goddess? Or do you think there's going to be a little bit more that Arthur is going to get his, uh, his tentacles in? Um, first of all, I'm going to say, I knew that Ethan Hawke was cast in this in this series, but I didn't know as what. So the first time I saw him, I'm like, is that Kevin Bacon? And then I'm like, oh, shit, no, that's <laughs> Ethan Hawke. Shout out to Kevin I totally Bacon. Got the sinister thing. <laughs> but still, like, it's he's playing villain so well. He's playing this charismatic, like, cult leader where you, you just, like, you know that, like, as a viewer, you know this guy is bad news. But everybody else around him is like, oh my god, it's the second coming of Jesus Christ. Yes. Oh. Like, it's... No. It's... I, I freaking love his character. But I will say, for Astro's plans with him, I don't think he's the main bad guy because they couldn't have just, like, popped the load, like, in the first episode. That They just can't. Oh, it's, it, it it's would really Mephisto? Is that what you're saying? Oh, I hope it's not Mephisto. <laughs> oh, okay. It was Agatha all along. Yeah. I'm hoping it's something like that where like it's they they bring in another character or like or he gets powered up into the goddess 
and the goddess avatar is the one that's the that's the ultimate bad guy or something like that. I will say that I do know that Harrow is not the normal like if this were Batman, he's not the Joker. There's two other characters, uh, one's called Bushman and one is called Sun King, I think, that are Moon Knight's primary antagonists in the comics. So th- this could still be, but if they base anything off the comics, then I-, I agree with you, Priscilla. I think he could be a taste of something bigger. All right. All right. I'm here for any of that, because this was quite an interesting ride. So let's talk about something that was incredibly heartbreaking. So Stephen, at his job, ends up somehow landing a date with tour guide Dylan, although he doesn't remember asking her out. And he's a vegan, and as I mentioned, they're going to a steakhouse. And so he gets ready for his date, because he looks at the time, and he goes, and he's waiting for Dylan, and he calls her, and he realizes it's not Friday, it's Sunday. And in a very sad and pitiful way, he orders a steak, well done, to eat by himself. Priscilla, since Vinny is heartless, Priscilla, <gasps> I know, it's okay, but this you knew you were. Priscilla. Oh my god, this is like the most pathetic scene I've ever seen, like, oh my god. Poor guy. He he can't win even when he's got like the card spelled out for him to like just put on the floor and just like use like ah the the, the fact that it's Sunday and that he called her and was and was still like hey I'm here are you coming like Jesus well he didn't Poor know guy. it was Sunday but like. She tells him it's Sunday. She tells him to sod off. Yeah. It's did you not look at your cell phone? Did you not look at anything? Like shit. It should say Sunday. He should have that actually. Like if he's sleepwalking all the time, he should have like his cell phone charged and like ready to see what where he is and what he is at all times. Well, you make a really good point because in the day and age that we live in, I mean, I know that I consciously have to make an effort to not know what day it is. Like, it's everywhere. It's on your cell phone. It's on the news. It's on the radio. Like, it's it's really difficult to, like, not know what day it is these days. He's a very lonely man. Did he look like he had a telly? <laughs> no, but I did. I did appreciate the fact that he doesn't even know how to order steak. That's how you well, know he's that. He's a like, vegan. That was hilarious. Yeah. Well, no, like everybody, like people don't grow up vegan. Well, that they, is like, true. They, yeah. Well, I think I don't know if it was necessarily he didn't know how to order a steak. I feel like it was him getting into his emotions because clearly he just realized that he has been gone for like two or three days and he missed the date. Clearly, you know, he has an attraction to this woman. And so I think it was just a wave of emotions hitting him to where, you know, he's like, if he was alone, he would have crawled up into a ball and cried, but he's out (laughs) in public and he has to answer these questions from this man who clearly, you know, he's a waiter 
So he's been like poking at him probably every couple minutes. Like, are you ready to order? Is it good? Oh no, I'm waiting for my date. Are you ready to order? You good? Oh no, she's probably running a little late. So it's like all of that. And like, he's like basically beaten down into a pulp and now he's got to order. And so he's like stumbling over the right things to say. I think that's what it was. I think that's what he was trying to convey. It really makes me wonder if he's going to keep his job considering like what we see later on, like it's trashed. Like, and the fact that even now, like, his coworkers don't like him. I know. And he's so nice. And he's trying to be nice to everybody. But they're all dickheads. Including you, Donna. <laughs> they are. But at the yeah. same time, we have to remember that we are kind of Duzex Machina-ing this in the sense of we have been dropped in when this has been going on long term. Oh, totally. So, yeah. So, I... I mean, I agree. Donna is a total see you next Tuesday, but see you next Sunday. She... <laughs> um, I I feel like it was kind of interesting that they did that. We this didn't just come out of nowhere. We're we're getting the you know the middle of this. So I, I feel like his relationships at work are clearly the consequence of the the dual lives that he's leading. And I, I'm actually really curious to see if they go with more than duo, because I, I know in the comics, I think he has more than just one other alternate personality. And I think one of them is like a six year old girl. Oh, well, I did not know that, but yeah, we'll, we'll find out how many personalities will be popping out as, as right. things go along. Uh, Priscilla, since you joined me for the Legion journey many moons ago, many moon nights ago, Let's talk about the legioniness of this series. Uh, I'm glad that you picked up on it. Then did you enjoy it? It was almost like they picked the same, like, color palette sometimes. Like, the darkness and stuff like that. And I was, like, pitched in with, like, gold every once in a while when they were in the museum. And then, like, foreshadowed, like, in the, the town where everything's, like, bright and poppy colors. And he's just, like, the dark figure in the middle, like confused out of his mind and trying to figure out where where best to go to get out of here like the cinematography must have borrowed from that because it was it was like kind of clear to see that it like the detail was nice but um i also wanted to say the fact the way they're handling mental disorders like it's aces that the i i've never met anyone with associative identity disorder it's really rare but um, the fact that, like, they handle it in a way where somebody with dissociative identity disorder online is like, I can see myself in this. It's really, like, it's good. And that's how it was like with Legion, too, where they they could see, like, the multiple personalities and they were just like, oh, okay, we, we understand where this guy is coming from. Totally. 100%. Vinny, I want to get your take on location, location, location. Because uh, it's been a moment since we've gone out of the U.S. Uh, in the MCU. I mean, I think the last one was uh, roughly about a year ago with Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Yeah, mm-hmm. Hawkeye was in New York. Uh, Loki was all over the place. <laughs> but we have Europe as the setting. And uh, what did you think of it? And and in your opinion, because I feel like they did, did they really take advantage of the European setting to, sh- to shoot in some really spectacularly gorgeous locations? Oh, God, yes. 
I I, th- I can't wait to see more. And it was honestly refreshing to not be in the U.S. because you're right. Like in the MCU, not even just in the past year, but overall, it's predominantly MCU being based in the U.S. with like sojourns. Like I think the one Spider Man was in Europe, and I think there was London in that. But for the most part, we're typically in America with the other countries of the world kind of being you know, remote, remotely touched on or here and there, like, oh, most of the movies in America and they visit another country. Uh, so this was really nice to have the home base be in London. And you're right, there were some, I, I loved the castle scene. Like, I, I'm not sure if that was Liechtenstein, um, but whatever castle it was, it was gorgeous. And I will say that having recently acquired a 4K TV in my living room, it was even that much more pretty. <laughs> like, wow. Ooh, you fancy. Uh, I know. Dang. It was it was a gift. I can't say that I bought it myself because you know adulting sucks. But um, no, I think I think it opens up a wide array of possibility. I feel like right now the U.S. was kind of exhausted, and it's refreshing to have a new home base and a new setting. And you know, like I've always been a fan of London. I've never been, and I want to go someday. Like I love the double decker buses and the sounds of Big Ben. And I've been on a huge period piece kick lately, so I've been watching a lot of like British period shows. And so I, I'm I'm on a huge kick, so I'm kind of biased, but I enjoy the accents and just the culture overall. So yeah, I, I think it was a really nice transition to a different area. All right. Shout out to the Downton Abbey. I will say one thing about mm-hmm. the accent. Mm-hmm. Oscar's accent is fucking weird. Like it's Okay, weird. I think yes. it's supposed to be weird though. It switches like places really quickly. And it's kinda like if I was trying to fake a Cockney accent, this is what I would do. Like, add in governor, bruh, like, and just a bunch of, like, nonsense. Okay. I think I agree with you, but I think it's supposed to, I think that's the point. I'm going to assume we're going to get an answer to the accent. My assumption is that Mark has this uh, this Stephen Grant personality Maybe because of all the pressure that Kanshu is putting on him, and that's where the personality splits. I don't know. I, I maybe maybe I'm going way too deep into that, and I don't know if we will ever get an understanding. But I would assume that that's maybe where it's coming from. You know, sort of like as as a release in a sense. You know, this just incredibly mundane life. You know, as compared to you know this incredibly stressful. Uh, mercenary, superhero-y life that he has to live as Mark Spector, the controller of Moon Knights and, and all that kind of stuff. Well, and I don't know, I, I'm not really that familiar with Oscar Isaac too much. I mean, like, I, I know I've seen him in, like, Apoc- X-Men Apocalypse and, like, other things, but I, if I remember correctly, he is, is it Guatemala? See. He was Borg. But I do know that in doing vocal studies in the past that it can be very difficult when you're <laughs> when you're transitioning between American to British and back. So I, I think you're right, Jeff. I think there might be an aspect of it that it is part of the character. But I think also part of it could be maybe his original descent coming through when he's trying to do the British accent. Because as we know, when Americans do a, a British accent, we usually butcher it. <laughs> Like really bad. So, oh, totally. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> but I, I I caught onto that too, Priscilla. Like it was interesting because I, I I honestly was confusing him with Jason Isaac at first, and I was like, man, for a British-born actor, he's doing a really awkward British accent. And then I realized I had the wrong actor. But 
Yeah, I did notice that as well. Because we did hear Mark speak, and Mark does not have a British accent. Mm-hmm. So my assumption is it's, you know, an American doing a British accent, and that's what we're getting with uh, with uh, Stephen, which, you know, it's kind of spectacular in a sense. Um, I will assume that we will be getting a full-on explanation at some point. And I do remember reading an interview with Oscar Isaac where they did bring up the accent, and I believe he also said that there will be an explanation. So we just got to stay tuned in regards to that. So let's talk about the Khonshu of it all, because we get him as a voice, but we also get him just, you know, crossing the streets, trying to catch the elevator, and that sort of thing. This really sort of, like, increases the horror aspect of the series. Not that this is a horror series, but they clearly do take influence from that genre. In particular, you know, because we have this mild-mannered person who is being thrust into this supernaturally world. Before we get into the jackals and all that kind of stuff, let's talk about Khonshu and how he was visually represented in the series. Vinny? I just, I really, really enjoyed Khonshu. Um, the voice more than anything. I'm actually blanking. I don't know why. I watched the entire episode, but I didn't remember actually seeing Khonshu. Did we? Many times, yes. Oh, yeah, wow. we, saw, we saw him while he was trying to, like, escape to the elevator. and he, oh, like, We saw him oh, at, oh, when okay. he tried to escape in the elevator. We saw him when, right. we fir- when he first wakes up in the countryside we see him right behind him and then he turns around and he's out there and then we see him when he's on the bus he looks out into the streets and he's like there in the middle of the road see this is why i usually watch episodes twice before we podcast i'm a little rusty yes (laughs) Uh, you gotta watch this one twice it was oh yeah it was everything not to give away ratings Mm. and stuff that we will be doing later on but yeah or you could do a cliff, or not a cliffhanger, but a, I don't know where I was going. I was going to say that you was were a teaser. Shocked. Yes, thank you. Um, <laughs> it was very Slender Man. Now that I look back, yeah, it was because it, it, it did add to the horror aspect because you hear the voice, and I watch with subtitles just to make sure that I don't miss anything. And I, you know, we Same know the here. name. Um, but yeah, it, it, I didn't look at it at the fact at the time that it was creepy to me. It was like, oh, okay, so that's the guy who's talking in his head. All right, cool. But as soon as you said it tonight, I'm like, you know what? Actually, I can totally see how it adds to the creep factor. And if you put yourself in Steven's position, you know, even though he technically, I don't think, actually saw Khonshu. But if you try to put yourself, okay, I just blacked out. I woke up somewhere strange. Some guy's talking to me. And I don't know. You're going to be scared of your surroundings. You're going to be paranoid. And he was always looking. Like every time he came back, he was looking around to see what was going on. So it, it did actually elevate it. It's I, Wow, yeah, I can't believe I didn't remember that. Huh. Yes. Yeah, it was good. That poor little old lady from the elevator. She was freaked the <laughs> fuck out. She didn't even see Khonshu. She was freaked was the fuck great. out by Steven. With a V. Yes, spectacular. His voice actor is fucking amazing. Of Murray Abraham. Abraham. Mm-hmm. Like, bring out, like, fear in you just by, like, speaking or, like, 
uh, you stand at attention when he's just kind of like, oh, this idiot is back there. Like, uh, you're just like, what? Who's he talking about? What's who's talking right now? He's like, bullying. Perk up when he listen, when he talks. He's bullying Stephen. Yes, but mm-hmm. to be fair, everybody's bullying Stephen. Uh, well, that is true. Yeah, except for his friend, the living statue, and the goldfish, which <laughs> only had one fin, but then had two. I will say, I cracked up when Stephen got really scared and threw the gun, and he's like, "This idiot threw the gun." <laughs> yes that was great that sequence it, i don't even know what i can call it because it's a chase sequence but it's not really a chase sequence because we go in and out of the sequence so we don't see the entire chase but for lack of a better word that chase sequence was stellar seeing it in and out from his pov and we're seeing it from steven's pov which means that we we have no idea what the fuck is going on because he has no idea what the fuck is going on was just brilliant and then all of a sudden he's driving backwards and he's like i'm driving backwards and he's in a cupcake truck it's just amazing it was fantastic insane (laughs) in the best possible way period so well the fish the fish with the with without the fin but then with the fin um he ends up going to the fish shop complaining about it but then he learns that he was there so throughout the episode much like we're learning about Steven and his blackouts you know he's learning about the extremes of his blackouts he ends up searching through his apartment noticing that a desk has moved he finds a little empty nook or a nook that that's filled with goodies including a cell phone that has a lot of calls to a woman named Layla who he ends up calling and uh, the woman ends up calling him Mark and she's like what the hell is with that crazy accent so I don't know if anyone has any opinions on this but clearly this is a story point that we will be needing again in the very near future right yeah because i think they actually mention the term mercenary don't they yes i my thought is that obviously she's connected to mark so if he's a mercenary maybe she's his contact oh that's interesting i do like that because she was like Mm -hmm. where the hell have you been what why haven't you called i've been calling you etc so it's almost like what she needed to hear from Mark, and she was worried that he hadn't contacted her. All right. I like it. I approve of all you of think that. He's lucky she's a significant other. <laughs> oh. Oh, man. How messed up would that be to like, have a completely like separate life? I would assume if they are significant others and that sort of thing, that she would kind of know about his situation. So. One would hope. Ish. I'm just picturing, like, them getting married and him not having told her, and then at the altar, he just swishes. Well, that would be a lot. (laughs) That would be a lot. That would be a lot. That would be a lot. Do you see a different name in the phone? Which is, um, if I'm not mistaken, it is a shout-out to a character from comics. We see Duchamp. In in the phone, so uh, Frenchie, yes, Frenchie from the comics. I don't know if we will be seeing Frenchie on the show, 
but it was a little nod that was interesting. The other thing that I thought was really fascinating about this episode was the fact that we are introduced to the Ennead, which is sort of like this collection of uh, Egyptian gods. And one of the members of, of this collection is Bast, who is the goddess that is worshipped by the Wakandans. So it's interesting because for whatever reason, I, I thought this next sort of phase of uh, the Marvel Universe, we were sort of good, maybe dip into some of like the cosmic stuff because we had been introduced to the Guardians of the Galaxy and after like Endgame and that sort of thing, I was like, well, maybe we're going to move off of Earth. But it, it, it's interesting that like after the Eternals and now with this, I wonder if we're going to explore gods on Earth in some sort of way. Well, and if I remember correctly, there are gods looking around within the Marvel Universe, in the comics anyway. So, I, yeah, that yes. would be fascinating. Yeah, I wonder if that's going to be a way that they sort of tap into the supernatural. Because clearly, we got a whole bunch of supernatural in this episode. Actually, oh, oh sorry, go ahead. The Black Knight and um, the vampire, the half-vampire coming up, so... Blade. We're gonna have, yeah. So I we're love gonna how have... you called him the half vampire. <laughs> <laughs> That's adorable. I guess we're gonna we'll wait and see if we get more information on the Ennead, which I would assume that we will, since uh, you know we're dealing with uh, Egyptian gods on this in this series. And speaking of Egyptian gods, so Arthur does end up finding. Stephen in the UK as because Stephen had the diary of the mouth. You know, I'm Stephen Grant. I work at the museum and all that kind of stuff as he was shocked by his appearance in the countryside and where he met Arthur. But Arthur finds him and Arthur wants the scarab. And so he, he ends up, you know, confirming that he's trying to, you know, bring back this goddess, and uh, he ends up summoning a jackal-ish creature, monster, that uh, attacks Stephen at the museum. And um, it is at this point in the episode where we are left with a cliffhanger because uh, Stephen argues with uh, Mark Spector about Mark taking over so that they can survive the situation. And by the end of the episode, Mark takes over, summons the Moon Knight, and uh, beats the living shit out of that creature. So much so that the creature was like, was like clawing its way out of the bathroom. I'm just saying. He got to be down. He, she, I was lolling that so creature. hard. Yes. So let's talk about this, because this was another moment in the episode that had really like a horror film kind of vibe, which I'm all here for. Whenever we get some supernatural stuff, we get some horror elements. I'm down for that cause. Uh, What did we think of it? Uh, We had Mark, you know, basically talking to Steven about allowing him to take over. What was interesting about this scene was we got a lot of 
mirrored, um, I don't know what you want to call it, mirrored shots throughout the episode. Like, if, if we recall earlier in the episode when he's chatting with the human statue, like, there's a scene where, like, in a puddle, they're, like, mirroring. And, and like, we had a little bit of that also when he first arrived at the museum. There was, I think he stepped in a puddle that where you could see the museum. So there was a lot of, like, mirroring elements in, or mirrored elements, or mirror elements. I don't know what I'm trying to say. But there was a lot of mirroring is what I'm trying to say. What did we think of of that and how it was used and how maybe they're going to be using mirrors to have uh, Mark talk with uh, Stephen? Priscilla? I liked, like, we could we got that hint even before that when he was scared in the... Um in his room yes and you see within, within every reflective surface that like the part of him was standing still and looking at him like mark was looking at him through the mirror so like i find that every time there's like a dissociative identity disorder or something like that like kind of like black swan they always use mirrors because it's just it's an easy way to say that someone is fragmented someone is broken like the way a mirror can be but i liked it I like that. I like that a lot. Vinny, talk to me about the jackal-ish creature. You know, I'm going to be honest. Like, I was on the fence with how I felt about the show for the first half. I I was enjoying it, but there was also part of me that was like, oh, great. So it's just going to be blouts and action scenes and there's no magic. Or it's going to be a slow burn. And man, did I get kicked in the nards in a pleasant surprise when the jackal showed up and he went all Sailor Moon and put on the outfit and beat the living crap out of the jackal. It was leading up to that fight. It was so atmospheric and it the show kind of swapped from being an action show or an action film into a horror movie for the latter latter like 10, 15 minutes of it. And I, I was so here for it. I a huge horror buff and I'm very picky. I mean, though there are some things that I like that my boyfriends would probably say that I'm really not picky, but I know my taste. Um, The scene in the museum when he is by himself and you hear the whispers and the animal sounds and you see the shadow of the various statues and figurines, like the buildup to the jackal was absolutely phenomenally executed. The the way that it ended up going, I did not see happening. I mean, I knew that he's the hero. Obviously, he's not going to die. But I I legit thought that he was going to get the shit kicked out of him once once again. And that was going to be like a catalyst heading into episode two where, you know, Moon Knight shows up. I honestly didn't expect Moon Knight to show up in the first episode with the way things were going. And it was really surprising. And even though I will say I think Moon Knight's outfit is absolutely ridiculous and I always have, he kicked ass. And he did a really, really great job. That jackal, the animation wasn't terrible. If I talk about execution for a second, like sometimes when they do creatures in these shows, they look really, really silly. I actually liked how they did this one. It, I, I won't go as far as to say it looked realistic because it's not a, you know, obviously it's not a real creature, the size of the thing and all that. But the way that they presented it, it didn't have that jarring effect that CGI creatures tend to have when they're transposed onto live scenes. It was very seamless. And I actually felt kind of bad for it when it was shoving its paws out the bathroom door and crying for help. It it was really, really well done. I I was laughing. I was caught up in the moment. And it it, it was a very, very nice way to end out the episode. 
I think the thing that really worked in selling the creature, because I do agree with you, for the most part, CGI looks like CGI, but I think because it was so dark, and I know a lot of that was sort of atmospheric stuff because, you know, they were really going for the horror film vibe in this. And a little side note to your boyfriends, even bad horror <laughs> can be good. I'm just saying. Oh, yeah, they know. They just like to tease me. Oh, okay, there you go. Well, I was defending you for a moment. (laughs) I appreciate Um, But but going back to the the episode at hand, I think the darkness actually benefited the CGI a little bit when it came to the creature. Because we didn't really get a good look at the creature. We kind of sort of did as, you know, it was like whimpering and (laughs) clawing itself out the potty. But outside of that, we really didn't know what it was. We just knew it was like this really ferocious-looking, jackalish creature. and, And that worked. Um, I'm going to disagree with you on the costume. I think it's kind of cool looking, you know, I think the CGI for it, the little bit that we got about the transformation, I thought was kind of neat. And I love the glowing white eyes and that, um, I mean, it's white, but I don't know what kind of white, you know, it's almost like, oh, a grayish white that the costume has. And uh, it works for me. I think it's kind of neat looking and I look forward to getting a better explanation as to who the Moon Knight is, how it works, and and that sort of thing. I don't know if we will ever get an entire episode from Mark's perspective, um, just because, at least as of right now, I'm really enjoying Steven, but I feel like we will have to at a certain point because we need to get a better understanding of this and, and maybe somehow... You know, as Mark, as we see it through Mark's perspective, maybe Stephen can as well, so that Stephen can understand sort of like the situation at hand. I did have an interesting observation that I wanted to see if the two of you caught to see if I'm crazy or not. I might be reading too much into it, but I love an interesting observation. <laughs> did you guys catch all of the very subtle what I viewed as references to Moon Knight in the forms of things in his apartment? Like, there is a huge thing with circles. Like, the one scene that we were talking about in the mirror, the mirror is a white circle mirror, almost like a full moon. He draws a circle around his bed. Um, I also noticed that, like, there's a huge running motif of white. I think he actually wore white to bed. Um, I might be reading too much into it, but it almost seems like they're planting those subliminal well, I just subliminal, <laughs> subliminal. yeah. Um, but I kind of notice a thing with circles like the moon and a recurring theme of white and some numerous shots of the moon itself. And I thought that was kind of really subtly well done if that's what they were going for. But I wanted to see if you guys observed that as well. You know what? I didn't notice that, but probably upon my third viewing, I will start focusing on that. And I, now that you're mentioning it, like I'm remembering stuff and I feel like, that 100% was on purpose, and uh, yeah, props to them for doing it. Props to you for noticing it upon one viewing. That might be why I forgot about Conchu, because maybe I was looking at the flowers for moons. I don't know. There you go. We do <laughs> know that Steven is a fan of uh, the blue Avatar people, as well as anime. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. I loved that line. Yes, it's fantastic, fantastic. I will say one thing mm-hmm. about the about the uniform. It hugs his ass really well. I liked that. Oh, all right. Well, there's moon there. 
Yeah. <laughs> Can we also just talk about how the hell does he afford an apartment that big? Well, that it should have probably been his first question. The other personality is subletting the apartment, being like, I own this right? whole building, but I'm going to let this and I'm going to let my crazy self live in here for a little while. Yes. Because <laughs> I'm like, you're a gift shop employee in London, and you've got, like, a really killer loft apartment. Yes. And I hope that the whole broom man that's selling whatever in front of his house, I think it was brooms, I hope there's payoff to that. Like, I hope, like, a badass personality comes out and scares the shit out of him. And then he no mm-hmm. longer is, is selling in front of his, you know apartment building's door or something like uh, that would be just a good little payoff to that i will say too that watching this really gave me flashbacks to the long kiss good night i don't know about you but that's one of my favorite movies and the way that christmas movies yes indeed the way that gina davis did that transition from you know frumpy housewife to serial or not serial contract killer whatever like, it's really hard to do that. And the way that Isaacs did it was so great that it gave me callbacks, not only in the story that we were watching, but just the way the actor handled it. It was done just as well, if not better, than Gina Davis did way back in that movie for me. All right. Gina Davis, Oscar Isaac, is stealing your gigs. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not. There's enough gigs for everybody. Was there anything that I missed, a tiny little moment that either of you would like to chat about? Uh, well, actually, there's one thing that I would like to chat about, and that is the end credits. They were gorgeous. Visually mm-hmm. impressive. The music, stunning. I I just love them. And, and I feel like I always say this whenever we discuss the end credits to these Disney Plus Marvel series. But, wow, they do a really good job with them. And... Uh, you know, mm-hmm. everyone, like each character sort of gets their little section of the end credits, especially the main characters. So like what they the imagery that they used for Steven slash Moon Knight slash Mark Spector was really nice. The imagery that they used for Arthur was really cool. Um, yeah, just props to the uh, end credits graphics team. Because they did a really good job with that, as well as the composers of uh, the music. Uh, yeah, the theme was stunning. Anything else from either of you? The gold statue man is Crawley. That's one thing that I, that I forgot to mention. But He's if the, I'm not mistaken, Crawley that, that gives him advice. Okay, is Crawley a personality or an actual person? It's an actual person. Okay, in the comics. Okay, cool. Okay. Yes, I'm, I'm uh, yeah, it, it was listed as Crawley, but uh, okay. I wonder if we will get more of him then. That would be cool. Now, I yeah. was just going to say, I, and this is going to make me sound like a horrible person, but, you know, I've done it before in podcasts past. I loved the violence, and I can't believe how much of it we actually saw on Disney+. Plus. I love that they're not censoring this down. You know, I know there was, like, a thing with, like, Hawkeye and Winter Soldier or whatever that they censored a little bit. But for the most part, like, they well, are no, living Well, no, for my mistake, from... for my mistake, from my understanding, it was a mistake that they uploaded a, uh... a softer version. Uh, from what I read, uh, they were going to upload the original version again. The reason that there was a change was because there was, like, a credit that was wrong. And so mm-hmm. I guess they accidentally uploaded a softer version. I don't know where that softer version's going. 
don't ask me about that. I don't understand why there's a, a, a less gory version of it or okay. whatever. But um, that is the official statement from Disney that it was accidentally uploaded. Well, and that's awesome because, you know, one of my biggest fears when they were announcing that they were going to be doing all of these is we know that eventually you cross over into adult territory in Marvel. And the fact that they aren't flinching, I mean, specifically, I remember the scene in the cupcake truck where he turns around. And I think the guy had like a bullet hole through his head and then the corpse fell off the back of the wagon. Like, I never would have expected to see that on, you know, Disney Plus or Disney in general. So I love that they're evolving and I love that they're doing it because I think. It really, especially with this character and how visceral, I mean, from what little bit we've seen of Mark, he's obviously a very skilled fighter and he's very unafraid to go for the jugular or the heart as it may be when he wants to get something back that they took from him. So I thought it really was well done. There was just the right amount of gore, for lack of a better term, and the way that they handled it. Like it just also, again, back to adding to that experience that we were on that journey with Steven you know, it's like you black out and then you black back in and there's like four dead bodies on the ground and you're holding something in your hand covered in blood. You know, it, it really, really worked. And I'm, I'm proud of them for keeping that in there and not being afraid to include it. I agree. I think the excuse that they gave to change the uh, parental settings and that sort of thing was when they brought over the Netflix Marvel series because those were clearly like TVMA mm-hmm. or at least a very hard TV14 if they weren't TVMA. I'm assuming they were TVMA. Um, for, uh, that was like their, their excuse for like altering the um, parental guidance stuff. But I would also assume some of that had to do with maybe Moon Knight. Maybe they, you know, in hindsight were like maybe a little bit of some of the other stuff, of uh, the other Marvel programming might also warrant that and it also frees them up to do a little bit more and to you know really allow deadpool to be who he is whenever he joins the mcu as well so um, there are a lot of benefits to that Um, you know haters and complainers be damned but um yeah i mean marvel is disney people so you know yeah they can take it up with mark Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> oh, there you go. Exactly. Uh, and uh, one little shout out that I do want to give um, uh, is just to the director. Uh, I hope I'm pronouncing his last name right. Mohamed Diab. I-, I thought he did a really good job. He's an Egyptian director. He's, you know, directed some some action movies over there. And, and uh, I-, I thought he handled the material fantastically. The direction was really good in this episode. Okay, everyone. Now it's time for the MVP, the most valuable player. State which character impressed you throughout the episode and why. Once a character has been chosen, they cannot be selected again, so choose wisely. There's clearly an obvious choice, but there are three of us, and we will be doing MVPs, so uh, this should be interesting. Priscilla, you are lucky to go first. Who is your MVP and why? I'm going to be nice. I'm going to choose Kanchu because like, when I first heard him, I was like, what's going on? Like, who who is this voice? Why is he hearing it? Is it coming from across the field? Is it coming from somewhere? Like, I was scared because I knew nothing about Moon Knight. But, and so that was really freaking cool, especially seeing, like, the giant bird thing just come out of nowhere. You're just kind of like, what is this horror show? What is going on here? What kind of show am I watching? And it just, it flipped the vibe. 
he and all of that comes from just like small bits and pieces that he did. So props to Kanju. All right. Vinny, who's your MVP and why? <laughs> I'm sorry I'm still here laughing because this entire time you keep saying that like there's a clear number one. <laughs> and yet both Priscilla and mine's number one was not the main character. She stole oh, my number one. I was going for Conchu. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Oh, it's okay. Um, actually, my number two is going to be Harrow. Uh, because I already kind of expanded on this before, so I won't go deep in detail. But I will say that whether he is the big bad or not, I think that having someone who is the polar opposite of what our main character is serves as a wonderful opposite and counterbalance to the craziness that is Steven. You've got this character that is very collected, very calm, very in his game. And he, whether he has his own avatar thing going on or whatever it is, I I'm really, really was fascinated with where that went by the end of the episode, how he just very creepily showed up all Babadook like, and was like, Oh, I thought you gave me a fake name, but you really do work in a gift shop. Like I loved it. And yeah, well, I, I was think Ethan Hawk here. I thought, I thought Ethan Hawke was here. <laughs> right. But yeah, no, he was my, my second choice for MVP because I, I, I think clearly, you know, Jace, or Steven is doing really good, but I wanted to not go with the obvious, and my first choice was Khonshu for the same reasons that Priscilla listed, but when I was debating between Moon Knight and Harrow, Harrow won out just because he did have more of an impact on me because of how curious I am to see what happens with him. I felt like Steven was going to be the obvious one because of Oscar Isaac's performance. But uh, my co-hosts were incredibly kind and have allowed me the chance to pick Steven Grant for the reason that I just said. Oscar Isaac was fantastic in this performance. Like, you really felt for Steven. Like, I want to protect Steven so much because poor Steven has no idea what the fuck is going on. Like, he's he's just, he's the precious cinnamon roll that we have to protect at all costs. Like, he just played the character spectacularly well. And also the tonal shift, the way that he just completely transformed himself as an actor to play uh, Mark. Uh, I thought, good grief, Oscar Isaac, we're in for quite a ride with you on this show. So uh, I won't pick two MVPs, so I'm not going to pick Mark, but I will give it to Steven. Uh, if they wanted a character to draw us in and to be sort of like the vessel for us to go on this spectacle, Steven was the perfect personality to do it. And uh, as I like to say, I'm here for it. I'm here for the ride. And let's, you know, let's go from... I don't know, uh, London to to Cairo or something. I don't know. I got my tickets ready. I'm just saying. If you if you had made me go last and you both had picked Harrow and uh, Kanchu, do you know who my third was going to be? Donna. Yes. <laughs> I love it. You know what? Donna was on my oh, list my <laughs> because. Yeah. She clearly is going to serve a purpose to his character development. And oh, 100, I don't yeah. Think, yeah, and I really really enjoyed the fact that she called him on his shit. That was why she was on my list. Like the the others kind of just write him off, but I I think maybe with 
Donna. I don't know if we'll ever see it said, but I feel like she calls him on a dip because she he, she knows he's capable of more. And that's kind of the vibe I got. Like, I've had bosses like her that are 100% legit mean, but then I've had bosses like her who are not the best people, but they challenge you and they call you on your shit because they know that's what you need to get motivated. And I honestly, I, as much as I hated her, I, I liked hating her. I like that. I remember reading a tweet after the episode aired, well, after I watched the episode, after it was released, where someone was like, if something bad happens to this woman... I'm not going to be mad. <laughs> and I was like, oh, poor Donna. <laughs> but kind of true. But not really. Sort of-ish. In a way. All right. Let's rate this episode. How would you rate this episode on a scale of 1 to 10 crescent moons? The point system is allowed. If you found the episode exceptional, deserving of more than a 10, you may grant it the coveted golden crescent moon. We're going to start off with you, Vinny. You know, I, I'm i going to go against my usual trend, and I am not going to wait. Right out of the gate, I am going to give this a golden crescent. I honestly feel I went into this show not knowing what to expect. I, I had a basic understanding of the character, wasn't one of my favorites, wasn't very prominent, really, other than what I knew. I'd only ever encountered him like you, Jeff, but for me, it was in Marvel Future Fight. You know, I... And my impression of him there was not the greatest because he wasn't the best to play as. But by the time this episode was over, I felt like I had ridden a roller coaster. Like I said, I kind of not the motion sickness part, but just from like the emotions and just the journey itself. And then when you throw in the technicality of like how I, I almost was kind of feeling mentally motion sick, you know, I realized how well crafted this episode truly was. The intricate attention to detail, the transitions of the various characters, you know, and the transitions of the blackouts and just everything overall, I could continue rambling on it, but you know, it, I think it wholeheartedly deserves a golden crescent. And I will say this, and I, I haven't had a chance to listen to the Hawkeye podcast, so I don't know what your guys' opinions of it were, but I will say that I walked away from the first episode of this series, polar opposite of how I felt walking away from the series of Hawkeye, not because Hawkeye is bad, but Hawkeye is also a character that is not often given prominence as he deserves. And I didn't walk away from the first episode of that series. Like, Oh my God, I'm so ramped up. Like I still haven't finished it, but this series, I walked away wanting more like right out of the gate. I am biting at the bit. I want the next episode. I want to see where this is going. There's so many plot threads that I want to travel down. So absolutely 100%. I will give it golden right out the gate. All right. Starting off strong. Benny Hatcher, no restraints. Never. <laughs> yes. Priscilla. Priscilla does exhibit restraint, but will she exhibit it right now? Stay tuned. Yeah. But she don't have to wait that long. She's about to say it right now. How <laughs> would you rate this episode, Priscilla? I'd rate it a 10. I wouldn't give it a golden just yet because I feel like there's much more that this show has to give. But I did feel afterwards the same way Vinny did, where I was just kind of like, I need to find out more about this character. I need to Wikipedia him. I need to find out the Marvel stats about this guy. Stat. I need to know his background. And, like, I started looking it up right away. So, so did I. It was it, it's, it's, it's really good. Like, I, I'm going to give it a 10. The sensible side of my brain wants to give it a 10. But I have no restraint. And I have shown restraint in the past because I've learned restraint, but I can't show restraint 
because it was pretty damn spectacular. What a really, really good premiere. Because like both of you, I want more. It's funny how they seem to be doing like um they seem to be leapfrogging with, you know, okay, this yes. one's gonna have a two episode premiere, this one is not. This one's gonna have a two, this one's not. And I feel like this one needed a two episode premiere. Although now there's a part of me, I'm being a Gemini, I'm arguing in my brain. Where I'm like, you know what, well we'll have an additional week of an episode. So, you know, it won't be a five week series. It'll be a, it's a six week series, you know, cause it's six episodes and we won't have the double premiere. So I'm kind of okay with it. But to go back to this episode, it was fantastic. Oscar Isaac was amazing. I think the entire cast was just really, really good. The direction was awesome. The cinematography was beautiful. The, um, you know, the effects were very well done. The music, I mean, just everything about it was spectacular. This is an incredibly ridiculous, donkulously rewatchable episode. It was also short. Compared to the other Marvel Disney Plus series, especially premieres, this was one a little bit on the short scale. Like, I think, uh, was WandaVision maybe shorter than this? Cause maybe. I think so. Potentially. This was like 41 or 42 minutes. Yeah. So it was it was short, but... Interestingly enough, it didn't feel 41 minutes. Like I'm not like usually we'll say things feel longer because it was like boring and that sort of stuff. That's not the case with this. It felt feature film like. Uh, so it, it gave sort of that feature film presence for me. So it didn't feel like just some run of the mill 40 minute episode of a television series. Um, so just props to everybody. They did a fantastic job. What an introduction to this fascinating character and good grief did they have to end it with that damn cliffhanger like i wanted to see him go out there and oh, kick hey. everybody's asses through the whole damn museum why not i don't know but it was just good so yeah golden from me as well and on that note join us next time for a brand new installment of the avengers initiative moon knight here's our announcer to remind you on how you can interact with us follow poppy chula radio on social media we are on facebook instagram twitter at Poppy Chula Radio. Do you have any questions, suggestions, comments, or concerns? Email us via contact at poppychularadio.com. Are you interested in joining the Poppy Chula Radio team as an on-air personality? Email talent at poppychularadio.com. Binge listen to your favorite Poppy Chula Radio programs by visiting poppychularadio.com slash archives. You can also download tonight's broadcast and the rest of the series through Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Just search for The Avengers Initiative, Moon Knight, and subscribe. Thanks, announcer. My co-host, please wish the listeners a good night, starting off with Priscilla. Good night, everyone. I should say the sensible Priscilla, because she was the most sensible out of all of us. <laughs> yes. And... Uh, I guess, well, he, it's not that he's not sensible, but he had no restraint. The no restrained. Uh, restrained? <laughs> Is that the right word? Probably not. Vinny Hatch. Restrictive. I am unrestrictive in my bidding the a wonderful Eve. I've watched too much, Downton. Uh, apparently. Thanks for tuning in. Subscribe to the Avengers Initiative Moon Nights via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. New episodes release every Friday. You can also download the entire series by visiting poppychularadio.com slash archives. Good night. 